Welcome to the Beyond Talent Podcast, where passion, mindset, and movement come together for endurance athletes by endurance athletes. Today, we are talking to Dr. Bob Nerswicki. He is an endurance athlete focusing on triathlons and a top-tier age group competitor in the half Ironman distance. Bob is a cardiologist in the Chicago area, and we used to train together back in 2011 to 2013. The first half of this conversation, we focus more on his training. And for the second half, we get a little bit more scientific as Coach Ted has some interesting questions from a coach's perspective in looking at athletes' heart data. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having me. So, Bob, it's been a quite a, a long time since we've uh, we've caught up and uh, we follow each other on Strava and, and we've seen your activity and uh one day i saw that you you had a a strava activity at saint george and i was like what is this i i I looked it up and and apparently there was the 70.3 world championships and uh you had you had raced it so we'll get into that a little bit but and that was last year um and you're still training every day which is amazing you're also a a cardiologist uh, out there in the Chicagoland area. And uh, so just a little bit of background. It, if you want to tell it, um, I'm happy to tell it, but maybe I, I'd like to test your memory um, in terms of how we met. Uh, this was 10, at least 10, over 10 years ago, how we met and then ultimately how we got uh, uh, to, to Ted and uh, at his studio uh, 10 years ago in Chicago. Do you want to tell the story? Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, so, well, you can uh, refresh my memory if I'm wrong, but <laughs> I believe we met at the uh, uh, Rofit uh, CrossFit gym. And That's right. you had been doing it prior to me joining. And there you were uh, pretty ripped with your six paddock abs. <laughs> doing all these <laughs> Do all these squats and pull-ups and, you know. You know, I thought I we had like, joined around the same time. this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, not, not anymore. Not anymore. Um, the abs might still be there from all the running, but uh, definitely all the muscles gone. Um, I Yeah, we joined. You joined. If you joined after we did, because I joined with a couple friends. If you had joined after, after me, it wasn't too long after because I felt like you were – you were there from the pretty pretty much the start when we were there, so it was pretty close then. Yeah. In fact, yeah, I thought maybe yeah, you'd been there before so. us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the one nice thing about that uh, CrossFit gym is they had a lot of endurance athletes in that gym, and even had an endurance program. So uh, it was nice because I was coming from you know strictly triathlon Ironman training kind of got burned out by that Want to switch it up with CrossFit, and then, but I was still able to find people to do, you know, endurance activities with marathons and triathlons with afterwards. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. And you're right. They, they did have an endurance program and there were a lot of athletes there that were doing triathlons and Ironmans. In fact, I think the owners were also Ironman or Ironman, uh, athletes and had done several in the past. And, uh, Definitely. That was an interesting community and I, I enjoyed it. Well, I was only there for a couple of years. I, I don't know how long 
you were there for. Um, but then, you know, we started training for an Ironman. You had already done one. Um, and I don't know, I think it was John who found WellFit, which was like down the street, literally down the street on Hubbard at the time. And I don't know if he found it or you found it, but we ended up, we ended up going there for the cycling classes that Ted coached. And I know you joined, you had been part of those classes, right? No, I was doing things on my own. I joined you guys for runs, but I didn't do any of the cycling classes. Oh, okay. You never, you never did the classes there? No, no, no. Okay. So Ted, do you remember? Maybe Ted's like, yeah, I don't remember Bob at all. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Cause I, I didn't remember Bob. Like when you mentioned his name, I was like, I, I don't, I don't know if I remember or not, but. <laughs> okay. My, my memories get jumbled up. It was all, you know, pretty close together. Row fit was on one side of Hubbard from Ashland and Wellfit was on the other side of Hubbard uh, from Ashland. And maybe you did join us for like, some of the Yasso yeah, 800s we did down Hubbard uh, from Ashland to uh, Western. We would do, we would run from Ashland to Western on Hubbard doing 800s. I don't know if you joined those or not, but I know you joined us for runs and and yeah. bike rides, right? And we did mm -hmm. we did a couple of triathlons together. In fact, we did half Ironmans together. You joined us for those because you were you were kind of done with Ironmans at the time, and but you're like I'll still do 70.3s, so. We did Racine. You were there. We I have pictures of that. And then we did Door County, right? Yeah, that was fun. Uh, Door County. Uh, you know, it's you know, it's much different training than I was doing now because I was doing mainly CrossFit. So you know, a race like that, you don't really know what kind of fitness you're coming in with. Um, and I didn't know what kind of fitness you guys had either. But I know just from the runs we did, you know, leading up to that, that we were all had our little competitions within the workouts. So I knew it was going to be interesting. Yeah. You know, John and I uh, tended to run together when we did runs and we were always had some uh, unspoken competition between the <laughs> two of us. <laughs> you and John were definitely at uh, a very similar level um, than I think Nick and I at the time. And and so it was, it was fun to watch. Uh, we, we ended up doing Door County. There's a really good story we'll tell at Door County. Door County, if for folks who don't know, is uh, the northern part of Wisconsin. It's near where Green Bay is. And there's a nice little area there where we swam in the, the, the bay and, and um, beautiful bike ride, beautiful run. And, and the, I remember that race really well. Um, but at after that race, I remember that you guys had a little story um, because you were ahead of us and finished before us or before me and, and Nick at the time. And you, I'm going to let you tell the story, Bob. What what happened at the end of that race? It was the run portion. I think you were, you know, about you're getting close to the end. And uh, what what happened? Yeah. Well, I mean. Like I said, I didn't know what kind of fitness everyone was going in with. And it turns out that, you know, I got ahead of you at some point, all you guys. Uh, I didn't really know until we got to the run because it's kind of an out and back. So you can see people, you know, going back the other way and see 
So it looked like I had a pretty good gap on everybody. Not that I was too worried about it. Um, and I'm like, oh, well, I guess I got these guys for the day. And at the end of the race, there is a, I would say it's probably half a mile, pretty steep downhill. And I was just cruising in, you know, I had no time goals or anything like that. And then probably within 200 meters of the finish line, uh, I see John screaming past me, full out sprints. I don't know how he had that energy at the end of the 70.3, but he did. By the time I realized it was him and he yelled something, I don't remember what it was. I tried to sprint, but by then he had so, so much more momentum and he beat me by like a few seconds. But obviously if I would have known that, I would have picked up the pace the last mile. <laughs> he snuck up on you. He snuck oh, up yeah. on you. Yeah, and he sniped me. I, I wish I would have seen that. Um, that would have been fun. That would have been fun. But just hearing the story, just hearing the story was great. <laughs> and and if you look at the times, he literally beat you by like one or two seconds. So Yeah, yeah. Because I, I did pick up the pace, but I couldn't catch him after that. He just had too much speed going downhill. So That's awesome. That's oh, awesome. well. Oh, well. You, it was a good story. One. You owe him Yeah. One. So that was 2013, I believe. It was summer right. of 2013 because that was a lead up to when John, Nick, and I did Ironman. The Ironman Wisconsin, or actually John ended up having to do Louisville. It's a whole nother story, but, um, 2013. So we're in 2023. That was 10 years ago. Um, what, what have you been doing since then? And you don't have to go through uh, super detail, but I know that in recent years, you've definitely been training. Talk, talk to us a little bit about the training that you've been doing, uh, and the racing that you've been doing. Yeah. So, you know, for the last 10 years, a lot of it had been heavy in a CrossFit for periods of time, you know, up until maybe like five years ago. And then once you got kids start coming the picture, <laughs> I wouldn't really, it's hard to call yourself an athlete really in any fashion. Um, <laughs> but you know, the last couple of years I've got some momentum back, um, started getting back into triathlon, pretty much cut, you know, CrossFit all out and pretty hardcore now, as far as triathlon the last uh, year and a half. Um, so one of the things I haven't done and I didn't do in the past, but did recently was uh, hire a coach and um, never worked with a coach before, but I, it's hard to uh, explain the difference that it made just in training. You know, before it was like, oh, well, what do I feel like you know, I need to do today, or, you know, I just better make sure I cover the distance really had no concept of intensity or anything like that. Um, so I know there's probably times I was overtraining, not recovering well enough, um, you know, doing too much volume on runs, you know, <laughs> stuff I would never do now. Um, now that I have the knowledge, you know, with a coach to guide me along the way. So that's been the biggest difference. But right now I'm focusing on uh, one to two 70.3s a year and then some sprints, you know, sprinkled in. Okay. Yeah. To the, you know, your point about um, training and, and obviously if you start having a family, triathlon training is, it takes up a lot of time compared to say if you were doing CrossFit, you know, that's, you go 
an hour a day triathlon you, you can definitely consume up um, hours in the week way more than um, a lot of other things so it sounds like you know you're now at a place where you can put in a lot a little bit more time which is great and you got a coach it, as far as the coaching goes are you training by yourself or are you uh training with gr a group of people no it's pretty much by myself um you know occasionally i'll meet up for rides with some people outdoor rides um but you know when i go to the pool i mean it's a public pool there's a lot of other people but i'm pretty much doing my own workout um so yeah that's the tough part um but with my schedule, I kind of just have to fit things in when I can. And it's hard to plan meetups a lot of times for runs or rides or swims. So, yeah, yeah, I, I can understand that. You said you've been focusing on a couple of races a year. Talk to us about last year, because I think things, I don't know when your training started, but you, you definitely started doing a lot of, like you said, you got a coach, you started training and you started racing. What races did you do last year and how much training did you do? So I pretty much, um, well, my first race was in May, but I had started pretty regular training in the November prior to that. I did uh, Chattanooga 70.3, uh, was really like my first trained triathlon back you know, my goal was to try to get back to my prior fitness and try to, you know, get close to a prior PR. And that was like 10 years earlier. Um, so I knew it was a long way to go to get there. Um, but surprisingly, you know, with less than a year of training, I was very close to my PR at that race, which was a much tougher course than I got my PR on prior to that. So I can just tell the benefit of the coaching and the structured training uh you know how much it really helped uh progress my fitness level and then also i think you know when you have a coach you know they may not be concerned about whether you miss a workout or not but to have that accountability and have someone who's looking at your workouts even you know if you're just doing this for fun it makes you more consistent so I know that was a huge benefit as well. Um, then I did a couple uh, sprints in the area. One was an, uh, a gravel try, which was pretty cool. I had never done one of those before. I just got a, a gravel bike the year before, um, and that was in uh, Lamont, Illinois. And uh, so that was a cool experience. Uh, you know, you're running on uh, um, mountain, uh, single track uh, mountain bike trails. And there was like a huge storm, like an hour before the race. So it was like a mudslide. So not the best course to uh, wear uh, carbon plated shoes that are pretty slick. <laughs> and there was mounds I couldn't even get over. I was crawling on my hands and knees trying to get over some of the areas on this, on this track. So uh, that was pretty fun. Wow. And um, yeah, and there was a, a a tornado that was actually coming in. So they closed the race early. So a lot of people didn't even get to finish. You know, I think there was only 20 people that got to finish. Luckily I did, but, uh, um, so that was a unique experience. And I think I'll try that again this year. Um, you know, I know Ted did some Xterra stuff in the past, so I'm 
it seems like you, you really uh, like that kind of stuff too. Um, Ted's like mudslides. I love mudslides. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sounds like a great challenge. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then my main A race of the year was uh, the uh, Wisconsin 70.3, which is the uh, day before the full Ironman in Madison. Um, and had a great day there, set a PR. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a challenging course, a lot of hills on the bike, not too bad on the run. Um, but yeah, it just felt good all around and knew I had great training leading up to that. Um, you know, after that, you know, I did get a qualifying spot for the, uh, 70.3 worlds and I don't, you know, it's, uh, I'd like to get your guys opinion on this. You know, when you say qualified, it's hard to know what that means nowadays. <laughs> you know, I was, I got, I got this spot at Chattanooga. Um, you know, it was a regional race. So there was a lot of, uh, 70.3 spots. So for my age group, I think there was like 14 spots, which is pretty big, but there was over like 200 men in my age group. So, um, and I was, you know, I think like top 25. Um, so there was some roll down to get to where I was at. Uh, but it's just interesting. Now, obviously in your top three, you can say definitely that that's a qualifying but when you get these other ones that roll down, you're just, I mean, I was going to take the opportunity no matter what, because St. George is an awesome course. Yeah. I watched it on TV the year before. I'm like, I got to do this race sometime. So even if I hadn't qualified, I probably would have done it sometime in the future. Um, so for that reason alone, I knew I was going to take it, but uh, it's just uh, interesting. Yeah. I, I appreciate the, the humility there, Bob. Um, you know, Ted, you've probably heard Ted and I talk about, uh, in a prior episode, uh, the fact that he qualified for the world championships in, in that this, is it this year in, in Nice? Right. And so he, there was rolled down for him too. Um, and he had, he was actually seventh in his age group and the guy that was ahead of him, he was only a few seconds behind. Um, there was a bit of a gap between fifth and, and, and him, but, but the fact that you were, top 25 out of 200 people 200 guys in your age group that's that's pretty good that's that's top notch in my book and so uh i have no problems um you know saying you're a qualifier uh regardless of the roll down and uh <clears throat> i don't know ted what do you what are your thoughts yeah absolutely and it's always it's always an honor to go to the world championships so when you qualify you should take that slot it's uh <laughs> It's honoring the race. Yeah. And and being in the top, what is it, maybe top 15% of the field, you deserve to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that race, uh, I mean, I had never done anything like that. I mean, just the level of fitness throughout every age group is just amazing. You know, most races, triathlons, you know, I'm average on the swim, you know, average on the bike and i usually pass a ton of people on the run you know saint george i was not passing many people on the run <laughs> i wouldn't uh no regrets it was you know an awesome day all around um yeah. such nice scenery around there and just so many supportive people on the course so 
you were at Wisconsin last year for the half Ironman, which was the day before the full and Ted was at the full. So you guys were there. Did you stay the day after to, to, uh, yeah, I had, uh, a lot of people I knew doing the full the following day. So I stayed for, uh, I wouldn't say I stayed to watch everybody finish. <laughs> I watched the top pros finish, but I saw almost everybody on the course on the run course who had made it that far. Um, but I, I mean, I couldn't uh, believe the difference between the two days I had, you know, picture perfect weather for the Saturday race for the half. And it was probably 20 degrees colder the following day with, you know, wind and rain, just nonstop all day. I, I couldn't believe it. I felt so bad for everybody racing. And that race, that race was a logistical challenge in terms of being ready for the cold, being ready for the rain. And, um, it took my exterior experience actually. And I used that to feel pretty confident on the bike, just riding in the bad conditions and be able to handle my bike in those conditions. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of top pros who have been doing this, you know, 10 plus years who dropped out of that race, like Ben Hoffman. I think it was Andy Potts. I don't think they finished because the, they weren't prepared for the condition. So anyone who even crossed the finish line that day, I give a ton of props. It was just uh, a mental struggle, just trying to make it through from, you know, watching everyone go through that. That I was not there. I only hear stories and you've just solidified. You've, you've just backed up Ted's story. So <laughs> Ted, Ted, you weren't making it up. You weren't making I wasn't it up. exaggerating. You weren't exaggerating. Yeah. You weren't You get legend status for finishing that race. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> so you did St. George. Uh, and then, you know, I haven't seen you really stop training. Um, and do you have any races picked out for this year? Um, well, my A race again this year is going to be uh, Wisconsin 70.3. Um, and then other than that, I just... I'm open. I'm waiting, you know, until I get closer to certain race dates to see how I feel, how my fitness is and just what other things are going on in my life before I sign up. Um, I do have a half marathon in a month looking, seeing if I can PR on that day, if it's some good conditions. Um, so that's mainly what I have, but yeah, I'm just trying to build up some aerobic base, you know, try to take it easier this year. And then maybe the following year, you know, sign up for a couple more 70.3s and really see where I can uh, get. So do you feel like your aerobic base has changed over the years as far as, you know, you had focused on CrossFit for a while, then you came back to triathlon, but you were, you were doing, you did triathlon for a while um, before that. How do you feel your aerobic base may have come or, you know, come and gone, or have you felt, or do you feel like it's stayed the same throughout the the last 10 years? And it's just a matter of, you know, revving up the engines, uh, you know, how do you feel about that? You know, it's hard to say because my training is so much different than it used to be. I'd have to believe it's a lot better than it used to be, but before I would do every run now that I look back at it close to threshold, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you do a 20 mile run and I'm doing it at race pace. And, uh, you know, I could imagine doing that now. 
Um, so I really, you know, just killed my body. So, so I did have good aerobic base, but it's really apples and oranges trying to compare my fitness back then to where it is now. Um, you know, on races I've done in the past year, it's often, you know, especially my first half Ironman back, just surprising. You know, I was no idea what to expect when I got to the run, but I, amazingly, you know, my legs felt so fresh and I was able to really push it and give good pace. And, um, you just don't get the sense of that, you know, when you're training at lower intensities and when you're doing just shorter threshold workouts or VO2 workouts. And, you know, it sounds like you kind of had the same experience training for the marathons, you know, you anticipate or you have trust that you're going to be able to run a pace, but until you get to race day, you, you don't really know. And plus when you're training through a lot of fatigue, um, you know, that masks your fitness. So you don't really know what to expect from that standpoint, because you can do a long run on some fatigue and it might not feel nearly as good as it does on race day after you've tapered a little. Definitely. Definitely. Interesting that you've, you've slowed down, you've, you've slowed down, trained slower to race faster. It's such a common theme I'm hearing these days. And the, the interesting thing is we're older too, right? And we're running faster than we have before, or we're racing faster than we have before. Um, it's quite fascinating. Ted, what are your thoughts? Yep. I think, um, like just hearing Bob tell his story about how he stayed in shape the whole time. I think that's also a key factor as well. Like he didn't, he's maintained the muscle mass with his CrossFit and, um, I, I doubt he's ever gotten out of shape. So there's always been the fitness there and it's just like honing that fitness for whatever specific task you need to to hone it for. So still maintaining that athletic ability throughout, throughout the lifetime, always being an athlete is, uh, I think a fundamental principle to staying young or to decrease the aging process. Yeah. I mean, I remember going back, um, a couple years ago when I started going back to running, um, and before I got a coach, I was still doing everything at threshold and my knees and legs would just kill me at the end of every run, even like a four mile run. And I was like, maybe I'm just at the age I can't run anymore. You know, maybe I, you know, I think that's a common misconception. My brother told me the same thing. You know, he started running. He's like, you know, my knees just bother me so much. And I'm like, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm getting arthritis. And, you know, I had saw an orthopedic, got x-rays. He's like, no, everything's fine. I'm like, I must be doing something wrong. And then started an issue with 80-20 program um and really cut back the intensity i'm like oh actually this is pretty fun you know i don't feel you know too sore and i can keep doing this how did it feel um picking up the pace when you when you did pick up the pace did it feel harder uh to go go faster uh when you did certain training workouts at, at a little bit faster pace and because for me I know that if, if I'm doing a lot of slow stuff for a long time and then I try to pick up the pace, it can be, can be a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a jolt to the system or a, a wake up call to say, Whoa, you know, the body's not familiar and it, it takes maybe a couple of sessions before I can feel that, feel that pace and, and feel comfortable yeah. at it. How about you? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I started, in prep for this uh, half marathon I got coming up, just started doing some, you know, closer threshold, higher end tempo stuff and was used to just lower intensity or maybe just some VO2 max for a couple minutes. And 
doing that first uh, tempo run, I was like, oh, wow, how am I going to keep this up for an entire half marathon, you know? So, but, the, and then the next time I did it, it felt a lot better. So you're right. I think there is some, you know, adjustment period to that, you know, getting used to that intensity. But, uh, you know, that's why there's a race specific phase to get used to for that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad I'm not the only one, uh, <laughs> experiencing, experiencing that. I think Ted, Ted experienced that it too. To, it speaks to the belief in the process too. I think a lot of athletes don't, don't feel like they can just let go and follow a process and say, how am I going to get fast if I'm always running slow and they don't believe in that process. But when you, when you, when you do, and you, you follow it in a progression that's logical and that your body can handle, then you see the results. Like you might not see the results until you get to race day, but generally you will mm -hmm. see the results of having a, a good plan in place. So as we age, we're training slower to, to race faster. And, and that's a big theme out there that I'm hearing. There's all this, all these different terms for it, but I'd like to switch gears a little bit. Um, cause you know, we don't have all the time in the world and, and we need to let you get going, Bob, to your regularly scheduled weekend programming as well as Ted, because Ted's actually in a hotel room right now in Milwaukee with his family for spring break. Um, so uh, I want to switch gears a little bit. Ted's got some interesting questions he wants to bring up. Just a disclaimer, anything we talk about here that's medically related with, with Bob is, uh, is not intended for uh, any kind of medical advice. If you have any questions or issues around um, your particular condition, seek your own um, medical professional for that. This is not intended as medical advice. So Bob, I want to talk about athletes. First, I want to talk about athletes who have pacemakers. So do you have any guidelines to follow in terms of training athletes with pacemakers? in terms of like time spent close to their maximal heart rate or like uh, if aerobic conditioning is better than high intensity conditioning, things like that. So I haven't seen much data as far as um, exercise intensities for pacemakers. Um, there is some variability as far as types of pacemakers and uh, the reason that they have the pacemaker that may have some uh, variability in what kind of exercise they can tolerate. Um, so some people just have a pacemaker just to keep the heart rate from going too low occasionally. Some people are dependent on that pacemaker and their heart won't contract unless they have that pacemaker functioning 100% of the time. Um, those two patients can be um, there can be significant variability as far as how you would address those. As far as someone you're worried about it just going low for a second or two and that pacemaker kicks in, they're probably going to be able to tolerate normal intensity like anybody else. Uh, for someone who's 100%, um, their heart might be a little less efficient and they may not be able to tolerate the higher intensity. Um, but that, like I said, there's a lot of variability with that, and they should, um, you know, consult with their cardiologists as far as your recommendations for that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't know there was a difference between the two. Yeah. Um, with when athletes do have a pacemaker, is there is their heart rate always consistent, or is it kind of vary a little bit from workout to workout? 
No, and some people with pacemakers, their heart rates may be um, much less than it normally would. Um, and generally in that situation, I tell them to go by rate of perceived exertion as opposed to their heart rate range. Um, and I use that in a lot of cardiac conditions where they may be on medications that limit their heart rate response as well, like beta blockers or calcium channel blockers. Uh, I tend to use RPE or recommendations as opposed to heart rate ranges in that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So it's the medication that could change the rate of the heartbeat. Like for example, for what I've noticed for like aerobic workouts, I might see a different range of heart rates for, um, the same exercise or the same intensity. And I was wondering if it's, um, instruments that aren't measuring it properly, or if it's just their, their body, given that they're on a pacemaker reacts differently. And it would make sense that, um, also the medications affect it as well. So, yeah, it's usually not, um, the instruments, it's usually, you know, other limitations or medication effects that seem to influence that. So another question I had for you is, um, I've had several athletes who've had irregular heartbeats and when they, when they have it diagnosed, um, generally their doctor tells them to continue doing what they're doing, but to be careful. So, um, do you have any record when the doctor's telling them to continue their Ironman training? Do you have any guidelines that stay within certain heart rate zones as you train or is it by athlete by athlete that you have to take these, take these precautions with them as you build their training plans? Yeah. Again, I think that's something that's highly individual. Um, arrhythmia is a bucket term that can mean a lot of different things. Some of them are um, pretty benign and some can be pretty serious or dangerous. So first of all, that, you know, knowing specifically that diagnosis as opposed to arrhythmia is important. Um, now everyone has some extra beats throughout their heart rhythm over a 24 hour period, either from the top, their atrium or the bottom or their ventricle. Those are pretty common. Most people, they actually are suppressed at higher heart rates with exercise. So that wouldn't be an issue. Some people though, it can be more frequent. And if they're having symptoms, it may, you know, create some more fatigue or make the heart less efficient and in certain intensities. Um, and in that case, they may need some, uh, medication or other treatments to address those. Uh, one of the most common arrhythmias that people get, um, regardless of fitness level, especially as people get older is atrial fibrillation. Um, I would say as far as what I see in the office, athletes and non-athletes, that's probably the most frequent arrhythmia, um, that, um, can really affect you, the intensity of your workout. You know, for a lot of people, when they're at higher levels of exertion, with something like atrial fibrillation, your, your heart is less efficient. And so people may not be able to tolerate the same levels of intensity. Now, if someone was training for, you know, an Ironman or half Ironman, they might not be able to even complete that type of training if they had an arrhythmia like atrial fibrillation. And, and what, in is, that case, what exactly is atrial fibrillation? <clears throat> sure. So atrial fibrillation is in a regular rhythm uh, that involves the atrium, the top chambers of the heart. 
where instead of a normal sequence, about one every second of an electrical impulse um, that causes the muscle to contract, you have very irregular and chaotic electrical activity. And instead of a smooth electrical pattern that activates the muscle all at once and causes a contraction of blood, you all this chaotic electrical activity doesn't allow that top chamber to really have full contraction. So in order for the heart to function efficiently, you have a contraction of the top muscle that moves the blood from the top to the bottom. And then the bottom, the ventricle contracts and that moves the blood flow either to the lungs on the right side or to the rest of the body on the left side. If that normal process of moving the blood from one chamber to the next is affected by the electrical activity, the heart is less efficient. Now, in minimal activity or rest, some people may not notice it, but if you're doing higher intensity levels, um, often people are going to be symptomatic with uh, shortness of breath, getting tired more easily, or not being able to put out the, the pace or power output that they're used to in that situation. Um, so that could be a major hindrance to you know people that are doing endurance training if they have an arrhythmia like that. That's interesting. Would you say for somebody who has AFib, is it inherently dangerous to spend too much time close to your max heart rate? Or is it just a function or just a matter of they're losing efficiency and not as efficient when they're close to their max heart rate? Yeah. So if you're doing shorter duration intensity um, exercise, you know, if the heart rate is sustained for those intervals, you know, we don't generally see that as harmful. Now, if their heart rate is consistently elevated, even at rest, that's more the case and where we see harm. So as far as the heart rate ranges, it would be similar to someone else who didn't have that arrhythmia. You wouldn't want someone to have a resting heart rate 110 all the time, but if they got up to 150 with, you know, higher intensity exercise, then that's acceptable. I have a quick question. You know how, uh, your heart rate, your max heart rate decreases with age. Why does your max heart rate decrease with age? Uh, and I know that maybe for some people it decreases less for some people it decreases more. Just curious yeah. about that whole scenario. Yeah. So definitely there's a, a decrement in maximum achievable heart rate as people age. Um, you know, the electrical activity in your heart is start, in the top of the right atrium in an area called the sinus node. And that sinus node uh, generates electrical activity on its own. Um, so it could be one of two things, either that sinus node activity, the electrical activity um, just isn't as productive as we age, or it could be the effects of other nervous system uh, that, you know, involves your brainstem that is going to your heart muscle, the sympathetic nervous system, which is involved with the uh, um, flight or fight reactions um, that also stimulates your heart rate to increase. And maybe that is also um, less signals as you get older to stimulate a faster heart rate or it could be a combination. I don't know the specific reason, but it's likely one of those two causes. 
and and that's is that is that a rule is that a is that a a, a rule in that for pretty much everyone your max heart rate will decrease as you age yeah i mean i'm sure there's always exceptions um mm-hmm. but as a general rule yes there will gotcha. be a decline but to your point you know there is some variability as far as how much that decreases over time uh just similar to the fact that you know everyone's maximum achievable heart rate isn't necessarily 220 minus your age you know that you know may work for a lot of people but for a lot of people that doesn't work and i'm sure ted you know as a coach looking at people's heart rate ranges during you know, activity or you know certain things like vo2 max intervals you can notice that there's you know significant variability in people's heart rates regardless of their age yep definitely yeah i I've noticed my max heart rate is lower than it was say 10 years ago. And, uh, it's not something that, um, makes me happy. Cause I'm like, Oh man, something's changing and I'm getting older, <laughs> you know? Um, I think we're all, you know, trying to, um, continue our fitness and, and, and as we talked about beat father time, but, um, I, I'm just, I, I'm curious, like when your max heart rate does decrease, obviously your, your zones shift down, right? Obviously your, your zones change. And so I don't know if that makes any difference in terms of your ability to, um, you know, perform better than you were when you were younger. Obviously we've, we, we know that you can, but it's just interesting. Um, it's just something psychological that I think about sometimes when I look at my heart rate, I'm like, man, I really want to, now that I do a lot of this low heart rate training, instead of like, you know, looking at how fast I went, I'm looking at how low did I keep my heart rate during that easy run, you know? And so it's just one of those switches and of, of metrics that I, that kind of shift in my brain when I yeah. uh, look at the data. Yeah. I mean, heart rate, you know, is one aspect of cardiac output, how much blood that you can pump through your heart within a immense period of time, you know, stroke volume or how much, blood is contracted with each beat is also part of that cardiac output equation in addition to heart rate. So that can, you know, change over time or depending on levels of fitness as well. Um, So even though there's been a decline in heart rate, there's a lot of other factors that go along with fitness, you know, also your um, catabolism of lactic acid, you know, plays a big role. So, and that really doesn't have anything to do with your heart rate. So, um, yeah, just... you can still have significant fitness gains despite a decline in heart rate over time. Gotcha. Yeah. There's just a lot of other variables out there. So one other question I had is, um, when we were researching this episode, we we're taking a look at like athletes who had heart attacks or, um, incidences while they were racing like one example is tim o'donnell he had a heart attack in the middle of a race and he was still able to finish the race i believe and then they took him to the hospital immediately afterwards and then they said he is having what they call the widowmaker heart attack um and then similarly a, a, a cyclist who won perry roubaix in 2021 sonny cobrelli the following season he was finishing up in a race and he had um a heart attack and um he was, they, they were able to resuscitate him at the, at the finish and he's still, he's still doing okay, but he had to retire from the sport. Um, so my question is, 
does being an athlete, do you think being like being in shape, being fit, if you have a pre-existing heart condition, is that help to, is that something that could help assist in the recovery from having a heart attack or AFib or whatever it may be? Or is it just something that you can't really strengthen the heart against that, even in, in face, in light of having that condition? Yeah. So as far as exercise and the recovery, uh, there's definitely situations in which exercise has been shown to be beneficial. Uh, people that have uh, congestive heart failure, people recovering from a heart attack or stent procedure, which is an, a procedure to open up an artery that leads to a heart attack or, you know, um, surgery, um, what we call bypass surgery to fix blockages in the arteries. In those situations, there's all always been shown to be benefit in a cardiac rehab program, which is structured exercise. Um, now, generally, cardiac rehab is a, a lower intensity exercise than what most endurance athletes are used to. Um, but that's really just to get your fitness back after those type of situations in a monitor setting to make sure nothing concerning is going on in that initial, you know, 10 to 12 weeks. Um, so definitely there, there has been shown to be benefits to exercise. Now, you know, you know, if you have a heart attack and you don't get that treated immediately or right away within a couple hours, sometimes you can have permanent damage to the heart muscle. And in that case, you can improve fitness with exercise, but you will never recover that function that was lost because of the heart attack. Um, you know, people like you mentioned in those situations, it sounds like they got pretty immediate treatment um, where they probably sustained little to no damage of their heart muscle. Um, so in that point, you know, it's, you know, building up the endurance on the um, monitored structure program, and then hopefully allow them to get back to their prior level of fitness, like Tim O'Donnell has in, you know, still racing. How he, he actually, that situation where he had a heart attack, it happened during the race and he ended up finishing the race. How, how is that possible? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on, you know, a lot of things. I mean, I'm sure he didn't feel good, you know, finishing that race. I mean, people that have those type of blockages in those arteries, you know, they, you know, they feel quite miserable. Now, again, like most things in medicine, it's highly variable how people present, but uh, I'm sure just his other aspects of his fitness allow him to finish. But most people, you know, can barely walk or breathe in that situation when they have heart attacks like that. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, for when you look at people like that, it's, um, it's definitely less common overall compared to the population um, that I see in my office. You know, most people I see in my office have poorly controlled cholesterol, diabetes, high blood pressure, overweight. Uh, you know, I don't have an epidemic of endurance athletes coming to my office because of heart attacks. <laughs> now, it does happen. It does happen. You know, I, you know, I've 
seen patients that have run, you know, 30 marathons come in, you know, with, you know, horrible plaque and blockages. So you're definitely wow. not immune from that type of disease, despite, you know, long distance endurance training. And some people may have a predisposition to uh, plaque buildup at, you know, because of that endurance training. I think it's, you know, still questionable if that's the case, but, you know, if, there's certain aspects of your body's metabolism that despite a high level of fitness uh, don't make you immune from heart attacks. Um, you know, there's some genetic things that can affect cholesterol. And, you know, I see a lot of those types of patients, often young, healthy people that if they have these genetic defects uh, can increase their risk of heart attack 10 to 20 times the normal population risk. And, you know, even, if you are a high level endurance athlete, you know, that you can still build up a lot of plaque in your arteries in that situation. Wow. Is that even avoidable with a better, with a better diet? Do you think it was? Did... So diet can help, but it's not going to get things back to optimal levels in those genetic conditions. Wow. And those people do require medication oh, wow. uh, to get their, their levels at goal. Ted, you shared with me a story where, I don't know, you were looking at one of your athletes data and you saw something in the heart rate data. Um, and interestingly, you know, I pointed this out after you shared that with me, I said, you know, coaches who are, you're going to be able to, you have a better opportunity sometimes to spot some of these things, but it's interesting. I don't, I'm, I'm curious to know how you spotted this um, than say the person's doctor, because People don't go to their doctor every day and they're not sharing their heart rate data with their doctor every day. Uh, so their doctor is clearly going to only see certain, you know, pieces of information when they come in or, or what's shared. And I don't know if people are sharing uh, regular training heart rate data with their doctor, but they definitely do with their coach. So tell me about that story uh, where you pick something up and, and it turned out to be an issue. Yeah. So I don't re recall the exact, um, how it exactly happened at the time. But what I recall is I just was looking at the trends. Like every time I look at the data, I look at the trends of their heart rate. Where's it at for a given intensity? Um, what does their heart rate recover to? And I think with this guy, I saw more than once where there's irregularities in how his heart rate recovers or his heart rate's way higher than I ever see it. And it's off the charts. So sometimes when I see it's off the charts, I assume, first of all, that it's probably like an error in the readings. But if I see it consistently and I, if we've addressed making sure that the heart rate monitor is functioning properly, um, then it's something else to take, take, take a look into beyond that. And I think the key thing that I saw was that his heart rate wasn't recovering. His heart rate was first of all, abnormally high, and then it wasn't recovering to the levels that I was hoping to see in between the intervals. Um, and then I sent them a message and said, Hey, I think, um, this is, this is a little bit concerning. Maybe you want to get it checked out. And, um, of course he ignored me for a while, but then like a few months later, he sends me a text message and it's like, Hey, remember when you told me to go see a doctor? turns out there's something there. Um, you nailed it. And then <laughs> wow. it's like, Th thanks for the heads up. So, um, I think like what Andy's saying is like seeing stuff on a daily basis and watching trends can be helpful. But what do you think about that, Bob? Oh yeah, I definitely think, um, and, and it's one of those things that's helpful. It's unfortunately not very specific. I mean, people can have the same thing. I'm sure you see this 
Ted too, when people are sick and their heart rate ranges are higher or the resting heart rates higher. Um, but yeah, definitely if there's issues with their, uh, cardiac function, um, you know, from a number of reasons, whether it's abnormal rhythms or, you know, um, heart being less efficient for a number of reasons, you know, you can have, you know, effects on heart rate recovery, uh, maximum heart rate, um, sometimes too high or too low, you know, some situations you can't generate, you know, a higher heart rate. Some situations your heart rate goes much faster than it normally would. So both anything outside the norm um, is definitely a cause for concern. And, you know, if you can't find an obvious cause by, you know, talking to the athlete, you know, like saying, oh, I got a cold or something like that. And they give it a couple of days rest and everything's back to normal. But if that persists and it's a change from their baseline, then definitely, yeah, I agree. That might be something concerning that needs to get checked out. How does stress impact a person's heart rate when they exercise? Well, I, yeah, I'd say it, it depends and it's quite variable, you know, um, and it depends on what kind of stress, you know, if it's, you know, psychological stress or lack of sleep type stress, as opposed to illness that might have, or just stress from fatigue, from cumulative fatigue, from workouts that might present differently. Hmm. Um, you know, people often say when they're sick, you know, with the same intensity, their heart rate is much higher than it normally is. So that kind of stress may cause a, um, higher heart rate. But if it's something from like overtraining or fatigue, you know, sometimes people have a lower heart rate. They can't generate that higher heart rate response. Um, and, um, so yeah, stress definitely affects your workout either way, but how your heart rate responds can be variable. Gotcha. Yeah. I asked that question because one day I went for a a run and it's a, it's a regular route that I do. And I typically know, you know, the, the perceived effort level and and what my heart rate is generally going to be. Um, obviously I'd like to see improvements, but that day I felt good and I felt like I was running. I was, it was an easy run, but I felt like I was moving pretty quick and I kept the monitor. I kept looking at my watch and looking at the heart rate and I'm like, man, my heart rate is not jumping up very high today for some reason. And I'm like, am I getting fitter or what's going on? And it was during a stressful time in my life, actually. Uh, so it was more psychological. It wasn't, it wasn't um, training stress. It was psycho- more psychological, emotional type of stress. Uh, and I, you know, I go out to my, my happy place for my run. And, and I just noticed, I'm like, I'm moving pretty quick. And my, for some reason, my heart rate's not going up to where it normally is. And I would expect that it, it you know, that if I'm, even if I'm stressed psychologically or, or emotionally, what, whatnot, my heart rate would still go higher, but it, it didn't. And I, I've never seen it happen again, actually. Um, so I was like, maybe my watch wasn't picking it up very good that day, but, but I did kind of draw the correlation of, you know, it was a stressful time, but I still felt okay. You know, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Was yeah. your stride consistent? I, I, I think so. I think everything was fairly, everything was fairly consistent. And I just, the only difference that I noticed was I felt, I just did feel faster. And I expected my heart rate to be higher and it wasn't. 
So I was just like, I was hoping, I was hoping it was just a, a, a fitness gain, but then I did it like, you know, a week later, I'm like, okay, it's back to like a little, a couple of beats. I was, it was only a few beats lower, but it was, I was just, in, I was just very curious about that. And I figured stress had uh, an impact on that. So, yeah. Yeah. When I coach athletes, I always tell them, or I ask them sometimes too also include all their stress beyond just training stress because a lot of times it's underrated what family stress can lead to or work stress can lead to especially work stress um and it's always going to affect the quality of the workouts and so you have your athletes overtraining so you have your athletes make note of that when they when they uh sometimes i mean not always they won't always make it so sometimes you just got to ask them um if you're if you're seeing something that doesn't make sense like you're saying if you see those irregular heart rates um heart responses, asking them more probing questions into what's going on, or if they need to decrease the training stress so then they can recover from all the other stresses that they have that are going on in their life. And it's something that sometimes people don't want to be just come out with and tell you about. Sometimes they just like to just focus on the workouts and that's it. Show no signs of weakness. (laughs) Well, I feel like we've spent a good deal of time here um, taking up everyone's day over there out in the Chicago area. You're, you're out there, Ted in Milwaukee. Um, Bob, you, you're just killing it these days with your workouts. I love seeing your, your Zwift rides and your runs. I'm seeing more runs. I love the runs more than I do the, the rides. I'm, I'm a, more of a runner myself, but I'm seeing a lot of rides. Keep up the workouts, man. I, I think we will probably get in a race one day in, in the future. Hopefully I can, I can hang and, and, be within striking distance like John, <laughs> but uh, I'll try to get the guys uh, in on another race in the future so that you can, um, you can uh, get your revenge on John. I want to see. All that right. Happen. Sounds oh. good. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks for having me, Andy, Ted. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. All right, All right Bob. Take care. Catch you later. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Well, Ted, that was a great conversation with Dr. Bob. I'm glad to have caught up with him. What'd you, what are your thoughts? It was a great conversation. I learned a lot from his insights, and I think it'll be useful to me as a coach. Hopefully, everyone out there enjoyed that. We hope you will hit that subscribe button. And until next time, keep elevating your passion, your mindset, and your movement. Go beyond talent.